Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 444. 444. This is Tim Maluli. Today with me is Tom and Brendan. Welcome to the show, guys. Happy to be here. Likewise. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about part of our planning process, how other people plan, and the projections and estimates, and you know how we do it versus they do it, uh, differences, similarities, good, bad, uh, everything in between. Who wants to jump us off here? I will. We've had a few opportunities over the years to see what some of our peers have done in terms of planning work when clients bring in financial plans that were put together by someone else. It's easy for us to see because we have seen all of the software out there. We can see what other people in our industry are using in terms of tools and software. So easy for us to pick out, not so easy for our individual clients to understand what we're even talking about. So we wanted to put this episode together to really kind of talk about some of the tools that are proliferating through the financial planning industry. Yeah, financial plan is such a nebulous term and it depends on who you're talking to. There are some advisors out there that might tell you a financial plan is just a portfolio proposal that they're sliding across the table to you. Others are going to use uh, planning software that, you know, there are only so many in the industry. So I think every advisor has probably test driven each of them. So we can, as Tom said, pick out what other folks are using and see, you can dig in with these tools, but you can see to the extent that some of it is just boilerplate in, in, a, in a way where you can enter the information and it spits things out and it looks neat and tidy and 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 professional but i think that you really have to dig in and understand the numbers and and what's baked into those financial plans to fully appreciate you know how how much uh, confidence you you should have in them because at the end of the day we're just making educated guesses about the future and we can make it sound more professional or certain than educated guesses but i think that that's the honest truth and anybody who tells you they're doing more than making educated guesses, I think is giving you a false sense of certainty, which uh, I, I don't believe is very honest, in, in my opinion. It's interesting to, to see that, you know, years ago, not that many years ago, when we would put together projections for clients, we would use numbers like 2% inflation. We had several years back to back to back where we weren't, the, the economy wasn't even generating 2% inflation. So we felt kind of silly using these numbers. Now we're coming off a year where we had, at, you know, at one point last year in 2022, we had 9% inflation. Fluke, probably. But it does make these numbers, it makes you sit down and look at this and say, wow, how, how trusty can these numbers be? I think it's important to understand what numbers are going into it, though, because to that point, you know, you don't want to be typically making plans with just going based off of the last 12 months or even three, five years. You want to use long term numbers when you're making these plans because the plan was going to look a lot different if you used less than 1% inflation that we had before 
this spike up. And it's going to look even more different if you decide to use the current inflation rate or last year's inflation rate, because it's always moving. So I think it's you can make you can manipulate numbers in ways to tell you anything you want. But it's it's I think it's just more important to understand what's going into those or what numbers they're using. And sometimes with with planning software, it's not necessarily cut and dry what's going into it. It's kind of black box. We we don't really know what they're working with here. Before we get to the black box, you just mentioned a phrase that we've seen on the CFP exam about you can't use last year's inflation rate. Do you remember how that was positioned on the exam? Well, I just remember that it was a question about, you know, what would, well, if you're making a plan for the long term, what would be the most appropriate way to account for inflation? And they gave you a bunch of different options. And one of them was if you wanted to use the current inflation rate or last year's inflation rate. And the correct answer was using the historical average. Even stepping back from the historical average with something like inflation or even investment returns, I think it's important to just be directionally correct. Like at Mm -hmm. a really, really basic high level, like things are going to cost more in the future. To what extent do we want to project that they're going to cost more? And I agree that you probably rely on history for that because we're going on a spectrum here. It's like, all right, so, so... Either we're going to use last 12 months, which at a point last year would have been like, cool, everything's going to cost 9% more per year forever. That's ridiculous. Nobody's plan is going to work. Nobody's plan is going to work. Or for a few years there, we're going to project that things are not going to cost more at all because they haven't in the last couple of years, which is preposterous. It's it's probably going to lead people to believe that they don't have to take any risk with their money and can just draw it down in a straight line. We'd love it if it worked that way for everybody because most of the time... People are risk averse and would prefer not to take any more risk than they need to. But I think a little naive to believe that over the long term, things won't cost more. I think we all have anecdotal experiences that would suggest the opposite. And these are these are the things that really need to get baked into the cake when we're sitting down with folks and talking about what the future two, three, five years are going to look like. And we've been talking about inflation assumptions, but the same thing can be made for investment returns as well. Any plan could work if you're going to assume 9, 10, 11% annual returns on your investments. But how realistic is that? You know, we know over over the span of history what, what the returns have been on average. Again, you can manipulate those numbers to say, yeah, you're in a good spot. It's like, okay, well, why? It's like, well, we're, we're assuming 10% annual returns on investments. Whether you end up getting 10% for a few years there at, at one point or, or another in, in back-to-back years, say the market's really good for two, three, four, five years. The way that we think about it when, when you're planning, you don't want to, you want to plan pessimistically. So assuming numbers that high would just be a little reckless. Sure. And if the plan works with a uh, say a four percent or five percent return, then it's certainly going to work if you're if you're making eight, nine, ten percent for a few years. Right. Back to this business of the planning software. So more and more financial planning firms and financial planners are using more of this software, but at the same time, we're seeing more and more financial planning software companies merging. And so the choices, more and more people are using the software, but the choices are becoming fewer and fewer. What are some of the pros and cons of that? I think I think a pro of planning software is that it makes it a process and it, it relies less on individuals and their own input into it than 
you know, like a macro level uh, input into some of these assumptions that that are the lifeblood of a financial plan. Like it's and, not it's not your personal feeling of like yeah. what inflation is going to be. It's like right, like Joe Schmo advisor doesn't need to have capital market assumptions. Right. Like the firm is going to use a planning software that provides those for that person. From an advisory firm standpoint, that's preferable than having advisors create plans from scratch because those could vary in quality and just what kind of information is being provided really, really broadly. So especially for larger firms, I think it's probably from their perspective beneficial to have kind of something that, that streamlines it and, and puts the firm's stamp on it, makes it makes it all the same. So it's like quality control across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all uniform, you know, same same kind of assumptions and everything for everybody. On the other hand, the, a con would be that your plans that you're making for your clients are not fully in, in your control in the sense that, you know, if the planning software that you choose to use because you like the way they do things, if that company gets taken over by another planning software and changes, you know, you have to adopt to the way someone else is doing something, then your plans might get thrown all out of whack or, or you're using a planning software that you weren't intending to use the company control is out of your hands. You can't stop them from merging or being bought or acquired or sold to another company. So that's a little difficult to, to deal with, I, I think, from an advisor perspective, at least. <clears throat> Along the same lines, we are not just seeing financial planners, but we're seeing some of the do-it-yourself websites that have their own financial planning calculator or tool on their website. So in those situations and like where... Advisors are using them to it's I think it's really important to understand if you fully understand all of the things that are baked into a plan using a piece of software or a tool or a calculator, then I think you're good to go and it can help you to streamline the process that can otherwise be kind of labor intensive. We're not we're not here like moving sweat around the yard or whatever, <laughs> but like from from the perspective of Tedious, financial advisors. Then, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're doing this in a spreadsheet, it, it can be a little time consuming to uh, do on your own. So if you understand the information, it can speed up the process. But I think that what gets lost in translation are some of the assumptions that are baked in that people, especially maybe individuals just using a tool on their own, are not fully appreciating uh, what is baked in, and that can be a problem. So what kind of things do get baked into some of these software tools? I mean, we've covered a couple of them already, investment returns. Which I think would probably be the the investment returns are are probably the, the biggest swing factor on some of these. Yeah, it seems like that of the different factors that go into it, I feel like that's the one that has the biggest potential for change variables. Inflation does move up and down, but this, the spike that we've seen over the last year is the biggest that we've seen in four decades. So inflation's not swinging from 10% to 0% every other year. It's generally relatively calm. But infl- or investments, yeah, you could change the assumptions and just say, I'm going to invest more aggressively and bump the assumptions up to 9%, 10%, or I'm going to go the opposite route and bump it down to 1%, 2% a year. So or, or the interplay between those two data points is especially important for people who are going to be withdrawing from yeah. their portfolios. So not only inflation and returns, but the gap How they work together. Your, yeah. your real rate of return matters in retirement, especially when you're living off of your portfolio. And that's that's often something we're talking about in meetings with, with people in terms of being the, the most important number is 
rate of return minus rate of inflation because that's what you're actually real dollars. Yeah, that's what that's what you're eating in retirement. Like it doesn't matter if you get a nominal ten percent and inflation's ten. That does nothing for you or or you know change those around. So uh, the interplay between those those two points matters too. Yeah. Would both of you like to address? how we handle making projections and putting together plans here at the firm. I'll defer to Brendan because he kind of laid the the groundwork for how we outline everything. Well, I I think one of the big flaws in, in planning software that we try to remedy in our process is just when you're talking about assumptions in financial plans, they make the financial plans more and more fragile the further we're projecting out. And so I think the value of planning projections is pretty limited to the immediate future, meaning maybe the next decade or so if you're looking ahead. And even those educated guesses we're making about the next five to 10 years, let's call it, are probably going to become obsolete along the way, which is why we talk about planning the verb and not plan the noun because like we we need to update those assumptions over time to make sure that we're tracking based on reality and not guesses but i think especially the the kind of false sense of precision that projecting out 20 30 years into the future has when when you're making assumptions about things like rates of return about spending and how things will go I, I think that as a result of seeing those things in the real world, when people bring us financial plans they've done on their own or with another firm, we try to step back and, and maybe focus on a smaller window of time with the idea being that if we continue to capture a period of the next five to 10 years and we're feeling good about the numbers over that period of time, updating it as we go along, adding adding another year after after we've lived through one and, and refreshing the data with that information, I think that that's valuable. And if we feel good about that period of time, then that speaks to how we feel about the longer term too, to the extent that we can have an opinion on that. Yeah. And I think in terms of planning software or no planning software, the way we do it here, we still we still use Excel. And, you know, we said before that it does tend to be a little time consuming. But for us, it's, it's more important to know all of the assumptions going in and, and we control those assumptions. They can change over time, but it's important to us for us to know all of the numbers that are going into all of these projections. We don't want to just assume, well, we put the numbers into the program and it gave us these numbers. So we want to make sure that all of the calculations are correct and we know what inputs and outputs came from those calculations too. I think it's also helpful in the sense that when you use Excel, yes, it is a little more time consuming, but it's less of a black box. Mm -hmm. And if you want to go back and say, well, let's use 4% inflation, or let's use a different rate of return, or let's look at over the next three years versus the next seven years, we have some flexibility and we we can do that. Yeah. And I think pairing together my point and Brendan's point, you know, we've seen planning softwares recently change some of their inflation assumptions just a tiny bit, like maybe not even 1% uh, difference. But when you extrapolate those differences over the span of 30 years, the compounding effects of that change the numbers wildly. So it's more important for us to focus on the short term. It's more about 
gaining more certainty in in an uncertain exercise because like we've seen people uh, getting a little frustrated online on Twitter, other advisors expressing frustrations that these planning softwares are changing their assumptions and they're changing the way that they calculate these returns and whatnot. The plans are breaking. Right. Because even the smallest tweak over the span of 20, 30 years is going to make a huge difference in terms of dollars and cents. Before we turn the mic on, I was saying to Brendan that in the fourth grade, Sister Alice taught us that each side of the railroad track has to be parallel the whole way through. And if you start deviating, it may seem very small now, but go a mile down the road, these tracks don't meet. Right. Brendan had the same analogy with an airplane. Yeah, a few, few degrees difference if you're taking off from Newark could put you in uh, San Francisco or San Diego. You know what I mean? And, and that's not, not a big adjustment at the onset, but it takes you to a very different place. I think there are some good things with the planning software. Like a lot of the problem solving that we end up doing in Excel, uh, the way that it's expressed or conveyed in a tidy way in the software or the information that you need to input to get the answers came from looking at different pieces of planning software. And I do like seeing how the software applies methodology to get answers that people are looking for from advisors. So it's I think about kind of understanding maybe how the different providers out there all slightly differently approach communicating many of the same points to people and then just taking the the best of those and trying to and trying to put it into what we're bringing to folks. Even in some cases maybe it's not the best but it's adapting to a specific way that will speak more clearly to what somebody's question was uh, when they came to us because kind of the, the software is is a little bit like one size fits all and so if you can take parts of each of them i think you can better answer people's questions in, in more satisfying ways or yeah. at least that's what we found in practice people come in with different priorities and different wants and needs of things that they're looking for somebody comes to us right you can't just put most of the time you're working with you know similar inputs but they're you're getting to a different answer and different you're answering different questions so to just input the same stuff into the same program and get expect different answers or to answer different questions it doesn't doesn't add up you end up sitting there trying to trick the software to do the thing that you want because it's just not a very right. uh, common There's like common a tweak question. in there, yeah. right? There's a one-off because everyone's situation is different. So mm-hmm. like one little variable in there, if that doesn't fit into what the software is used to, then you're not getting the correct answers because you can't account for it properly. They're getting better because they'll listen yeah. to feedback from advisors and be like, hey, I see this. This client has this going on. It doesn't appear to fit in in what you guys have. And so, like, there are updates over time that are good and useful. And a lot of these places are adding new features. So this isn't to, like, bash them entirely. I think there's a lot of of what we do that we've kind of just taken from software. We have software on the back end to use, but it's not the sort of thing, like, you might see where other advisors or people doing it themselves are kind of just punching the numbers in and then using the the kind of like boilerplate plan that gets spit out once you fill in enough information. The, those plans, I'm not sure, have a ton of value, especially if you don't understand everything that's that's going into them. And I would venture to guess that 
the people who are putting data in, spitting out a report and handing it to their clients, these are the people who are melting down on social media. There's been some some real backlash regarding the changes that some of the software companies have, have recently made. In that situation, I kind of feel... I feel for them a little bit because it's it's out of their control whether they're making those changes or not. And sometimes they might not be a, a, a one-man shop or a small independent firm that they can you know do their own thing. They might be given this software from their employer and say, you need to use this. And now it's just spitting out different stuff and they can't do anything about it. So it's I understand the frustration for sure. One thing I'd like to ask both of you is when we sit down with folks We have different experiences from case to case. We'll go through the data gathering process and some people will be meticulous to the penny on certain expenses and and numbers. And then we have other folks who say, uh, monthly expenses just put us down for 10 grand a month. Do you wanna just speak to how data accuracy really helps with the plan the further you go out into the future? I mean, it's garbage in, garbage out. We're making projections for people in retirement that are very important. You know, it's not throwaway exercise. Like we're projecting out their the rest of their lives and their finances to cover that span of time. So it's important to us and we would hope it's important to, to them as well. We are working with the most accurate numbers possible because we carry those numbers forward that 10 grand a month. Okay. That's what we're going to project. Like that's factors into the projections moving forward. So if that's not accurate, then the results that we get from the projections aren't going to be accurate. And the exercise is essentially, you know, accumulates to nothing of value. <laughs> I think the spending, the, the spending differences on a year to year basis. I mean, we pretty much, we, we never know what the market is going to give us in a specific year or inflation, but I think the historical averages and then us applying our own uh, conservative nature to planning assumptions in that area will probably just play out over the long term as, as we anticipated, although we've got to bear the year-to-year volatility in between. The expenses... I mean, surprises on that front that, that we didn't factor in or account for can, can really start to make a plan ugly in terms of if distributions are double what we projected, then that's going to be a problem. And, and I think, you know, to some degree, that is, of course, out of our hands. Life happens. And sometimes we, we have to spend in areas that we didn't anticipate or foresee. But to the extent that we can, again, just being being a little conservative with, with spending, meaning I would rather be high on things like expenses, inflation, taxes when we're making assumptions about the future and low on things like investment returns. Just just completely neg everything out. Like let's 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 imagine a world where we get a little bit less than what we were thinking in all fronts and are we still going to be okay in those situations? And then applying that and saying, "All right, if if you want to run things a little higher than that, then, then you just know the trade-offs you're making and, and the probability of, of those things working out over time. I also think that there's a certain amount of awareness that comes from the exercise of building a cash flow projection. There's been times where we've had 
folks that will show us what they're bringing home from work, and then they have far less that they're reporting as spending in their expenses, but we can't figure out where the rest of the money is going because it's not winding up in savings or investment. It's, it is disappearing from month to month through the lines. And Tim, I shared a story with you. My first branch manager is a broker. I went in for my annual review. So this was like 1986 or 1987. And he's like, hey, Tom, smiling Tom Maluli, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm cold calling all day long. And he said, is that right? And I'm like, yeah, all day long, I'm cold calling. He's like, oh, okay. And he pulled out the phone records. And he said, in the month of October, you averaged 71 minutes a day on the phone. You're here for eight hours a day. What are you doing with the other six and a half hours? And I had no answer for him. And so it was very eye-opening to me that I thought I was really doing what I should be doing. But the proof in the numbers was not there. And so there are times where we'll sit down with folks and we'll say, hey, you're bringing home X, you're only spending Y, we may be able to do some things here to help you pay down debt faster or to save more money. And sometimes it's just a little bit of a awareness and going through the exercise. Or perhaps the projection should account for the gap because I think there are settings in different planning softwares that uh, you can check for things like your RMD, where in like a planning software, if in the year that you have an RMD, your projected expenses don't require you to spend to, you're not going to consume all of the RMD, then you can check a box that says uh, reinvest which of course would make your plan look better because you're going to get your RMD, you're going to spend what you need to spend, and then any excess you're going to reinvest into a brokerage account, something something along those lines. Uh, in reality, I think that when that happens, in most cases, people just spend it. And I think in reality, when there's a gap like that and there's no clear explanation for where the money has gone, then it's probably being spent. And that might be a good guide to say, hey, we've got our base expenses, but perhaps the difference here are those one-time things that just happen more than one time per year and add up to the difference here or something close to it. What do you think about Mm -hmm. looking at a set of numbers that looks closer to your net take-home pay? Because I'm thinking that might be a better guide about how the future looks and spending patterns look than than the reported reported, uh, expenses. And that's not, I think, a function of people not taking the process seriously Um, it's just a matter of like the one-off things are not budgetable. They're not occurring every time. And you really have to sit down and think about them and they look different every year. So it's, it's tough to build them out in a budget. They'll look different every month. From month to month, there's going to be something else that comes up that was unplanned. Yes. That's a, it's a great exercise to do the cash flow and balance sheet reports with your financial planner. So, I mean, I think that was a, you know, good discussion and, and, insight into what goes into some planning softwares, how we approach planning and the exercise of, you know, putting projections together for folks. Hope that you guys found it interesting. Uh, That's going to wrap up episode 444 of the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only 
and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Mm-hmm.